0: Last week, you might have noticed in the Christmas Cafe, Chad gave a little description of the prophet Isaiah. Do you remember that in the readings? And a pretty fascinating one. It kind of got my wheels turning about a, a verse that we memorized as a church a couple of weeks prior, a verse that's a, a personal favorite Christmas verse of mine. In fact, this is a, a picture uh, right outside, uh, go to that other one, uh, of our front door of our house. And so I was like, you know what, we, uh, we should have a chance to talk about Isaiah 9-6. It's maybe one of the more memorable passages. We memorized it a few weeks ago. You can uh, maybe join me just in reading that at least. This is the verse that we're looking at. Uh, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. It's a beautiful, powerful description of the coming Messiah. And we're going to spend the the next two weeks this morning and next weekend just exploring those different titles because those are more than titles of the coming Messiah. They were meant to be what we experience of the coming Messiah, that we would experience him as the wonderful counselor and mighty God is what we're going to talk about this morning. Let me just pray quickly before we dive in and explore that verse further. God, thank you so much for this chance already to celebrate you appropriately through singing and through every aspect of our service this morning. We want to to glorify you through the study of your word now. We ask that you'd meet us where we're at. I know specifically, even in this room, there's folks that need you as the wonderful counselor this morning, as the mighty God. And so we ask that you'd make yourself known to us, that you'd reveal yourself to us through your word. In the strong name of Jesus we pray, amen. So uh, this verse, it's uh, one that a lot of us are familiar, anybody grow up hearing that verse a ton and seeing it on different Christmas cards, but I would suggest it was coming at a time where the people of Israel were desperate for those words. I'll give a little backdrop real quick. This is when Israel is coming and it describes just a little bit earlier, even in that same chapter Describing the situation that said that they walked in darkness, referring to the Israel at that time that they had got, become. And what I found interesting is when someone's walking in darkness, it points to the idea that they have gotten so accustomed to darkness that they just keep on going back to life as it used to be because they're walking, right? So, the, this picture of Israel was a, a group of people that had wandered for so long and ha- had followed a different uh, gods and had, had chosen to go a life of self-reliance, they'd gotten so accustomed to that that they were back to, to walking in darkness. My son came, ba- came back from camp last year, and he had an interesting fact for me. He's like, Dad, do you know how long it takes for your eyes to adjust to the dark? I'm like, I have no idea, but I'm pretty sure you're going to tell me. And, uh, and, and so he's like, Dad, it takes about 45 minutes till your eyes really settle in and get used to the dark. Have you guys noticed that before when you're outside on a camping trip or whatever? Your eyes do what? They, they kind of get so you're like, man, it seemed like I could hardly see anything like an hour ago. Now I can start to make out figures and start to get accustomed. I can walk a little bit. And that's what I'd suggest, unfortunately, was the exact same thing that was happening to Israel. They had gone for such a long time in self-sufficiency celebrating other gods, making other things a priority over the one true God, they had gotten comfortable in it. You see, it's easy to look back and be like, yeah, that's terrible that they did that. But isn't that similar to us as a people still today? Become more and more over time, self-sufficient, self-reliant, celebrating other gods, elevating other things before Him. So this verse came to an audience at that time at a desperate point But it also comes to an audience still today at a desperate place as well. One other thing just about Israel is they are seeing the results of the ramifications of walking in darkness. It describes that that in that time that there are two things that happened. That Israel had been separated into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and southern kingdom. And that the northern kingdom was currently under Assyrian attack. So this was a, a, a word that was desperately needed. And you imagine this barefoot prophet that, that was described last weekend coming with those words and he says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Now I don't know if there's any English teachers in the room here, but when you're thinking about past tense, present tense, future tense, what, which one is is? Present tense. There we go. We glad we solved that together. That was great. And uh, pre- present tense. So it's interesting that he's talking about something of, that's going to happen 700 years later, that he's speaking to it in present tense. Isaiah, literally in his accounts of the coming Messiah, had 61 different things that was predicted about this coming Messiah. Jesus fulfilled every single one of them perfectly. But this account, he's saying, man, he's coming. It's sure going to happen. It's it's as sure that I'm using it in the present tense. I thought that was pretty cool. Kind of like he's looking on his tiptoes at the horizon, what's going to happen. You also notice that he says, to us, to us. In other words, it's a gift written with our names on it. When I say our names, I mean people in general, to us. Anybody... Remember when you're a kid, how excited you'd be to go under the tree and find names with, or, or gifts with your name on it? I, uh, my my kids are still very into that. I'll be honest, I still kind of like finding gifts with my name <laughs> uh, on it. I, it's funny as you get older, there's less and less it seems, uh, with your name written on it. What we've had to do though with our kids, may this is feel free to beg, borrow, and steal this. What we've had to do because our kids are guilty once they see their name on it they go on the discovery of trying to figure out what's in the gift box. Anybody else do that with uh, your kids or catch them? A couple years ago, we caught them peeking. Dun, 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 dun. So we had, to, we had to make an adjustment. This is what we did. We introduced a number system to our gifts. So every single one of our gifts under the tree only has a number on it, and Adrian holds the chart as to who's no, which number goes with who. So feel free to utilize that. Well, well, here, was that confusing? Does that make sense? Yes. So cruel, one might say. Uh, but but here, here's the, the truth about this. This is being crystal clear. Isaiah is saying, I we have this gift, and it's coming, and it's specifically for each one of us. That is good news. And it's interesting when he describes the gift, I find it fascinating that it seems a little bit redundant that it says, child is born, son is given. I find it a little redundant that it says, child is born, son is given. Uh, Sorry, I I couldn't resist that. But, But if you think about that, if you think about that, that's kind of covering two different aspects of who Jesus Christ was going to be. I love Ravi Zacharias explains it, that the child had a birthday or a beginning in time. The son that was given was was God in the flesh. This was a, a, a timeless thing, so kind of separating the two because the beauty of this birth wasn't that it was just a baby. It was the fact that it's God in an earth suit, God in the flesh, if you will. That's what it's pointing towards in that text there. So this gift that's coming, what's the next description in the verse that's going to be true about this baby? that the government shall be upon, shall be on his shoulders. That's a big statement for a baby, right? Like that, that's huge. Anybody look at the role of presidency and say, no, thank you. Anybody watch that? And uh, yes, I do. And, and I'm not getting political here, but if you see that verse, a lot of times when you see that, that promise, that's something that you long for. Man, won't it be wonderful to have someone that can carry the weight of what the responsibilities of government are. And this is a promise to a people that was desperate for it, much like maybe even people today desperate for that. But it's a little confusing because when you think about Jesus' life, now we can look at it in the rearview mirror, how involved was Jesus in government? Not really at all, right? You're like, wait a second, didn't seem like he was very, like it didn't seem like the government was on his shoulder, right? You say like he have avoided uh, government stuff, but here's the, the explanation of that, why he's saying that. When Isaiah is getting a picture of the coming Messiah, he sees it in the distance like mountaintop peaks, if you can make sense out of that. He's seeing all of it at once. When you're looking at mountaintop peaks, you don't see the big valleys in between. And so, as he's prophesying this, he's giving the, the full scope of the coming Messiah. Upon his first arrival, did he come to set up his kingdom here on earth? Does he, did he come to do that? No, he came, to, came as rescue. Remember the, an, the angels even announcing him said a Savior who is Christ the Lord. that He's coming as, as Savior. In his second coming, he's coming as King. So to get the full picture of this Messiah, the first was to rescue us from the inside out. That would make a good uh, Christmas cafe sermon. Uh, but to rescue us from the inside out. But the second coming, to literally set up his kingdom on earth. And that's what we all long for. Because even when you watch the news, you can recognize there's a de- sense of desperation for somebody to fix this mess we call government, right? There's a, there's a, there's a, the, because you have different people with all kinds of different agendas and what they're longing for. I heard somebody say recently that if, if Trump were to walk on water, they would say it's because he can't swim. You see, you see the truth is that there's, we're in a government that there's, it's a no-win situation. It's a no-win situation. But thankfully, the one that can walk on water is going to show up and can carry the weight of the government. So that's the backdrop of this introduction of the Messiah. And now he's about to start going into these names that were meant to be more than just a name, but were meant to be something that we experience personally about the Messiah. Now, if there's anybody else that takes the name giving really seriously, does anybody as parents remember that process of picking a name for your kids? Anybody else were a little stressed out by the weight of that? You're like, I'm picking my child's name that's going to have for the, is their entire life. I, re- I remember with our kids, we put a, a sign on our door. We were living at a university, and we're like, okay, help us pick a name because we've got to decide this. And you've got this time clock going, and you're like, what in the world? And, and this timeline, and we didn't pick any of the names that they gave. Uh, but, but, but here's the, the fun thing. We're like, at least we'll try to do a little tribute with each of our kids' name. Can we take a commercial break and I'll tell you our little tributes for a second? So, so our firstborn, Chase, uh, his first name didn't mean anything other than I, it's a bank and I thought it was cool. Uh, <laughs> mi- 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 middle, middle, name, middle name, his middle name was Michael. Adrian has a grandfather named Michael and I have a grandfather named Michael. We went with that. It's a nice tribute. Second child, Alexa. Just thought it was cool more than just the, the Amazon uh, item. Uh, that was pre, we had to change ours, by the way, uh, in our house, because every time we'd yell Alexa uh, at her, the thing would be like, what can I help you with? And so, anyway, so her middle name is Mylin. And so my, uh, Adrian's mom's name is Myrna, we weren't going with that. Uh, and, her, and my mom's name was Linda, so we combined them and made Mylan. So nice, right? A little tribute to family. And then our third, our daughter, Sienna, you guys are like, why is he talking about this? Maybe it makes sense. Sienna, we just thought it was a pretty name, but Rain is what we went for her middle name, Ruth and Irene. So all of them being a a tribute to family. But here's the, the reason I talk about that, really just because I wanted to talk about my kids for a second, but primarily this names in the Bible are a huge deal, you know that. If you've spent any time in Sunday school or Bible study, you recognize names are a massive deal. Well, this is like God's trying to say, these are the things I want you to know about the Messiah. These things. I want you as a people that desperately needed to know that he's a wonderful counselor. You people that have chosen to be self-sufficient and do all this on your own. You need to know you have a resource as a wonderful counselor. I'd suggest that somewhere along the line, the word wonderful kind of lost its gusto, right? You throw it around pretty loosely, like, oh, you, have, uh, you go over to somebody's house and you're like, oh, that was a, a wonderful dinner. You're like, I don't know if it's a wonderful dinner. It was a good dinner, but wonderful. The, the intent of the word wonder. By definition, the, the idea of wonder was to was to provoke wonder. How was that even possible? Those miraculous. Maybe we don't say that about a dinner, right? But, but here is the description of the wonderful counsel that our God can give. That, that's, that's on his business card. He's a, a, can you imagine as a counselor if you labeled yourself a wonderful counselor? Probably not appropriate. Not jaw-dropping counsel, but our God, if you think about it, the very best possible counsel you could ever receive. Imagine if there was a counselor that had the ability to see all oh, the full scope of the past, has a full grasp of every single thing happening in the present, has a full view of everything that's to come in the future, and has the ability to alter the future. Would that not make a good counselor? That's what we have in in, in our God. That's why it describes him as a wonderful counsel. It's all over scripture. It talks about the the counsel that he offers is a beautiful thing. Psalms 147.5 says this, great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. He qualifies for that title, wonderful counselor. He's not like us when we're getting counsel from somebody. Anybody get counsel from a, a family member or a friend or somebody that gives just really lousy counsel? And you're just like, I kind of got to way through that. I maybe take a little bit of the good, but 90% of it I throw out the window. That, that's so often with human counsel. The exact opposite with God's counsel. Every single thing that is suggested through God is perfect and should be readily embraced. So, how, you might ask, how do we receive this wonderful counsel? Like, what's our, what's our access point? You know, it can kind of sound like a lofty thing in church world. You're like, yeah, the pastor's talking about wonderful counsel. Like, but, but literally, how do you receive God's wonderful counsel in your life? That's a that's a great question, wouldn't you suggest? I would I would propose that this I know it's the church answer that this is a wonderful starting point, the going directly to the source, figuring out how in your life you can have a regular diet of God's word in your life. I would suggest that very two or too few people can honestly say when they're reflecting on making major decisions that they're even giving any thought, what does God's word say about it? What does, what, what, does, what does His counsel say about it? I think it's a lot easier when you have other people in this together. One of the things my wife and I have noticed, the study of God's word happens so much easier. Maybe you've noticed this in seasons of your life when you have other people are studying it with you. Anybody notice that in seasons that you've been in a Bible study or, or study group? When you try doing it on your own, it gets a little bit heavy. But man, when there's other people, I've been in an in a e-group, which is one of the discipleship groups we have at the church for the last three years, meeting every single week consistently in that group. We study God's word, we memorize scripture. And man, that helps so much when you have accountability. I'd suggest for those of you that are trying to figure out how do you get a diet of God's word in your life, I would suggest get around other people Doing it together is much easier than doing it on your own. Another suggestion on how to download God's Word in your life is God uses, this is one of the wonderful things, God uses other believers that have maybe walked a little bit further down the road of following Christ and applying His Word to their life as an amazing resource of counsel. Anybody else found that to be true in your life? Somebody that you know that loves and serves the Lord consistently—you're like, oh, that's my go-to person. They seem to be, have wonderful—or I shouldn't say wonderful—great counsel. Uh, when you're talking with them, you're like, oh, it's such a gift. As a pastor at this church, you might not know about this, but we have a, a elder board—a a group of, of men that are committed to uh, leading this church together—and I would say, out of my getting close to five years here, it's been a wonderful support. Decisions made in plurality is a huge thing for each of us, not just a church as a whole, but also for us individually. Because a lot of times, us coming to conclusions on our own, we're the last person that's caught up in the middle of the drama that we're in that should be making the decision. Seriously. Seriously. A lot of times, you, can, you have to understand that others are in a better position to make the decision that's before you because they're, they're not caught up in the emotion of it. Now, I'm not getting into a counseling thing here. I'm just suggesting that you have other people that you know are following the Lord that are a resource that you can lean into, and you don't just stumble upon this. This takes some intentionality, and here's the hard, time, hard part, is sometimes You even have to do things you don't want to when you're receiving counsel. Anybody else guilty of this, of trying to find counselors that tell you things that affirm what you already believe? That's a, that's a, a, a tragic mistake if you don't find somebody that tells you the exact opposite of what you're thinking. I'd suggest spouses are also good for that. So, wonderful counselor for us as a church, for us to fully experience that, You have to put some intentionality into it. Second description. What's the second description of God in that that verse there? Wonderful counselor and mighty God. Mighty God. That's a cool name, isn't it? That, I would suggest, is a one-time use name for a child. Any of you ever see your your baby at at the beginning and be like, what should we name him? Let's go with Wonder, wonderful counselor, mighty God. You know, mighty God, that's a, that's a keeper. Let's, let's stick. No, absolutely not. You don't name a child mighty God unless it's coming as God in the flesh. That's a one-time use name. And for those of us that are confused about what someone would say, would say like, oh yeah, Jesus was a, a great teacher and a wonderful man and all of this. You're like, actually, no, he was more than that. He was God in the flesh. If you're like, well, where in Scripture does it ever tell us that that the Messiah was going to be God in the flesh? Ding, 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 right here. Mighty God. For us to recognize that, if you think about it, that's what pushes every single person to a fork in the road. Let me explain. The fork in the road comes when you have to decide what you believe about Jesus Christ. Isn't that, if we're honest, isn't that what separates somebody from either being a Christ follower or not? Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is? If he was just a good man, I know lots of good men, but if he's mighty God, that changes everything because all of a sudden my world should orbit around him because he's God. He's God. No longer this whole self-God thing works any longer. All of a sudden, if he's God, there needs to be a knee bent and submission on the other end of that. For us, going into Christmas this season, the question is, who do we say that Jesus is? Is he just a, a prophet, a good man, a good teacher, a philosopher? What is he? Is he or is he mighty God? Here in this text, that's who he says he is. The other part of the God piece is the word mighty. And I think that's as important as the other. For those of us that are are going through whatever drama or trial, knowing that you have a mighty God who's mighty to save, mighty to rescue, that's a big deal. Mighty is an awesome word to use to describe what we so often are desperate for. In fact, say it to your neighbor to wake him up right now. Say, mighty. Mighty. There you go, got, got them awake. That got a couple people up. But the, this, this idea of mighty is what we so often long for. Remember when I was saying these titles are, are more than just a name? They're literally what we long for. We long for wonderful counsel. We long for a mighty God. And I would suggest whatever season you're at in life, whatever you're going through right now, He's mighty to save. He can rescue you through, through that. He can, he, can, he can walk through that path with you. A lot of us this season need to experience him as mighty God. And for those that don't, some of us will say, like, actually, I feel like things are going pretty well. I'm in a good season. Maybe you're in the season of proclaiming him to be the mighty God in your life. Do you see what I mean by that? Some of us need him to be the mighty God. Some of us need to tell others about the mighty God in your life and the track record of showing his strength that he's had in our lives. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we had a chance, uh, I, I talked in the, one of the services, I talked about how difficult it is to talk to neighbors in our community and how it's a challenge. Anybody remember me talking about that? And uh, I was talking about like, man, it's kind of awkward to get past that because everybody just kind of goes in their house and and, and I was preparing this and talking about or thinking about the idea of proclaiming him as mighty God, and I'm like, I actually probably should uh, practice what I'm preaching. So remember those chocolates we gave out? So yesterday afternoon, uh, w- there were supposed to be these invites. They were, they were given like four weeks ago, so we just got around to going out yesterday. So we decided, okay, Adrian and I and our three kids, our nice little uh, Christmas card family, uh, we, we, we all went... Every single neighbor in our community, well, I think it was like 14 different homes, rang doorbells, gave some chocolate, brought some Christmas cheer, and said, all right, God, you do what you're going to do with this. We were blown away with what kind of response we got. Everybody slammed the door. No, I'm just kidding. No, no, listen, listen. So, so, so here- no, here's the honesty. This is what happened. People were anxious to talk with us. They're like, oh man, we can't believe it's so cool that you stopped over, inviting us in, showing us around their house. You know, like it was, it was shocking. I think we've bought into the myth that people aren't interested in engaging with each other. It was a real eye-opener yesterday afternoon. We visited one man who's kind of one of our, our last stops, who so I know he has uh, some home health, he has home health care and he can't really leave the house. Oh man, he just lit up as we're proclaiming and we're telling a man, we're at this church in the area and um, talking about the mighty God and, well, not in those la- that language, but some awesome interactions with these, with these different folks and people were anxious to engage about these things. So for us, just as we're trying to apply this, some last things. And we'll actually, as Chad comes up with the last, for the last worship song, I'd love to carve out just a couple moments of space for you decide which of those you need at this moment. Do you need him as the wonderful counselor? Some of us, you're about to go into a season or a year ahead where you have some pretty major things that you could use some counsel on. Whether it's on, on parenting, whether it's on job stuff, whether it's I don't, I don't know what it is for you. Whether it's on solving relational conflict, I don't know what it is. But maybe if that's you here this morning, man, just bring it before him. God, please be my, my wonderful counselor. I need you for that. Give a few moments for that in a second here. The second one is some of us that, that maybe you're in the moment where you could really use a mighty God. Where you have some situations that are on the horizon and you're like, man, I do not know how to solve those things. I do not know how to address this health thing. I do not know how to solve this wh- whatever. You fill in the blank. I want us to carve moments for you to pray and to bring those before him and ask him to be the mighty God in those situations. And then lastly, if you are in a season where you're like, hey, Pastor Scott, things are going pretty well. I feel like things aren't, aren't too terrible. I feel like things are right." Well, I want you to pray for a boldness to speak of this wonderful counselor, mighty God, going into this Christmas season. I'm going to be quiet just for a few moments here, just as you guys have a chance to go before the Lord with that. And you determine which, this is fill in the blank, you determine which of those names you need to experience this Christmas. I'll be quiet and then close with prayer. God, when we think about the nation of Israel back in that day and time and their propensity or their movement towards self-sufficiency and idol worship, letting other things become a priority above them, I acknowledge that I can do the same thing. I move that direction if I'm not careful. Come to you this morning just with bent knees, God, coming back to you to experience you as the mighty God, the wonderful counselor. I pray that you'd be that for folks, even in this room this morning, that you'd provide the counsel that's needed to navigate the many different challenges we face in this life, God, to be the mighty God that rescues us, that provides a way out when we didn't think it was possible. God, we submit that to you. We thank you that those names are more than just a name on a birth certificate. Those are literally descriptions that we can experience with you. Praise you for that. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen. 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 And that's the good news that we cling to, that he shall reign forevermore. This little baby came as a king to be. Praise him for that. I pray you have a wonderful week. Enjoy this next week ahead. Slow down enough to actually remember Christ this Christmas. Amen. Have a great day. God bless you.